I think everybody saw, or at least mostly everybody saw a couple of weeks ago where there was a story that came out that the army was testing a drone and they were using AI to control the drone. And they said, nope, don't go attack this. And it said, nope, I'm going to over the drone came back and said, nope, I'm going to override you. That's generative, right? That's, that's just taking inputs and doing what it's told and giving you a result. All decks prepare for hyperdrive. Activate tractor beam. Disengage tractor beam. Right, we're ready for light speed. No, 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 light speed is too slow. All right, reality check. The science of fiction. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Reality Check, the science of fiction. Today, we have a very exciting guest with you that I want to share, uh, Sean Harris. He is a dedicated technologist and ultra geek, and he has over a decade of experience working in the field of cloud architect, DevOps, and engineering. And he's worked with a lot of complex software. I don't even know what all that means, but you're going to explain all of this to us. He has a wonderful background in digital forensics and incident response. Again, I have a strength background, and that is something that Sean will explain to us a little bit more, some of the cool things that he's done. But he, you have your degree in? In political science with a minor in campaign management. And then I have my master's of information systems. So cool. So let's just kind of <clears throat> jump right into things. Um, yeah. Today, we're going to be talking about the movie iRobot. And that is one that I think everybody's seen. I don't know if there's much we really need to say about it. It's Will oh, we're Smith, done. and he mm-hmm. he fights the robots. And if you haven't seen it by now, spoiler alerts: we will be talking about that movie. So, Sean, let's just kind of jump into it. Tell me some of your initial thoughts as just a film watcher, and then some of your thoughts with the movie iRobot as a science geek. Yeah, so it's been a while since I've saw it. I saw it when it first came out. Um. I saw it because I really like the book um, by the same name by Isaac Asimov. Um, and so I was really looking forward to it. And I've always liked how Will Smith is such a great actor. He's right. Like, he's like the rock. He's so versatile and um, can play any part that you give him. And especially those intense drama parts. Like he's been in a lot of drama movies and I just really like how he does drama. And so it's a great movie. I probably should rewatch it. It's been a few years, but um, I know the book well. It's one of my favorites. And so, yeah, it, it, it's futuristic. It's crazy. It's science, it's science fiction heavy, but it, it, it's an easy and a good read. If you haven't read the book and I've only seen the film, I recommend everybody go watch it. But uh, the film's really good too. It was groundbreaking with a lot of digital um, animation and effects. And I think it really set the stage for science fiction movies that came in the later end of the mid 2000s. I I would tend to agree with you. I think it was, you know, as far as I remember, it was kind of a first of its kind. And here's a fun little Will Smith fact. Did you know that he was originally approached to play Neo in the Matrix and he turned it down so that he could play in Wild Wild West? Man, that was a poor career decision. That was looking back. Yeah. And he says it's one of his few regrets in life. That would have been awesome. Him and him and uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne as as uh, oh, now you've got me on the spot, but you know where I'm going. That would have just been an epic casting. That would have been just so much fun to watch. Yeah, maybe we could uh, see that come back as a redition. Reboot it. 
you know, there's supposed to be a million versions of Neo. So that's a topic for another time. We can go into, I mean, obviously the shows, this, this podcast, we're going to be talking about the matrix at some point. Um, but one of my favorite, one of my favorite movies, one of the movies that, um, I remember when that movie came out and it, the, the matrix and the sequels blew me away. And it really, that movie right there really changed how we do science fiction movies. I think because of the groundbreaking oh, director, the the the, uh, the the Wachowski brother, the Wachowski's <laughs> sisters that um, really directed it, really just blew it out of the water, and everybody lambasted the other two in the trilogy. But <laughs> I just think that when you get them all together, when you look at it as a whole complex piece of art, it, it's just amazing. It's definitely a very complex topic that I am <laughs> looking forward to exploring with perhaps a group of experts when we finally do get to that one. But let's yeah. let's talk a little bit about um, AI. It's such a hot topic right now. People are scared. People are embracing it. And it really seems like I can't scroll through my feed without seeing either something about airplanes crashing because all my technology knows that's my deepest fear or AI. Mine too. Well, don't, don't, <laughs> Google, don't listen to us. It can never happen. <laughs> no, I think AI is a very complex and interesting topic. The AI, the discussion around AI that we've seen over the last year really has been all about generative AI, which is using those large language models to generate outputs based on what you type in. I think the part that is scary that we haven't dived into yet enough is the, uh, AI that can generate, that can think, that can do, that, that goes past the generative AI, the, the inferential AI, right? Where it can start making decisions on its own, which is, oddly enough, what iRobot's all about. Right. And that and was so, Vicky. Vicky right. was the centralized AI that was controlling all mm -hmm. the robots. And she had the three laws, you know, three mm -hmm. laws safe or three laws strong, whatever it was. And she made Can injure a human. Can injure a human. Number one. Must obey the orders. Mm -hmm. And it must it must protect its own existence. And so if we look at those three laws as we've laid them out and the movie and the book point out, two of those are in conflict with the other. Mm -hmm. Right. Because if it must protect its own existence, but it can't injure a human and it can't and it must obey the orders, something has to go. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's where we get into generative AI versus inferential AI and big large data models that make complex decisions on behalf, right? Everybody can go to Chetty and type in something and get to spit out funny songs or something like that. And all it's doing is not scraping for new information or making a decision for you. It's taking your prompt and giving it and giving you back what you think based on what you typed in. And it, and it has a cutoff, right? Like yeah. the newest, Hmm. The GPT-4 model cuts off in September of 2021. The mm -hmm. GPT-3-5 model cuts off a few months behind that, but they're exponentially bigger. AI grows on, ex on an exponential basis, but we haven't gotten to the part where we have a real discussion about the ethics of AI, the security of AI, mm -hmm. and the importance of not letting it do no harm, right? And I think that that's the scary part that we should all... We, Generative AI is fun to play with and fun to watch, and it's kind of interesting to kind of predict how it's going to take over jobs, um, especially in a, in a 
economy such as the United States, where it's all based on services as opposed to generating actual output, AI makes AI makes some threats there. But I think the real discussion that we need to have around the ethics of AI is around the securing of it, the not letting it make complex decisions. I'm, I think everybody saw, or at least mostly everybody saw a couple of weeks ago where there was a story that came out that the army was testing a drone. And they were using AI to control the drone. And they mm-hmm. said, nope, don't go attack this. And it said, nope, I'm going to over... The drone came and back and said, nope, I'm going to overwrite it. That's generative. Right? Okay. That's, so that's just taking inputs and doing what it's told and giving you a result. So we have our generative AI, generative AI which is like chat GPT. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is the... Inferential. Inferential. Where it, can, where it can infer what you want and make the decisions on its own. Okay. Because I've heard that ChatGPT, someone explained it to me that it's like the predictor on your keyboard with if you're mm-hmm. typing and it's automatically mm-hmm. predicting. It's like that just with way more data points. Right. Basically, what they've done is they've gone out and scraped the entire internet as much as possible. They've done what Google tried to do in 1998, never succeeded at. They went to all these websites, Reddit, all these big popular websites, Twitter, Reddit, you, you name it, it's probably in there, and just sucked up all the data and started pulling it and figured out how humans speak. That's why you can have a conversation with it, right? Like you can go into chat GPT's console and have a conversation with it. And it's going to spit out mostly factual information, right? And until you ask it the industry, (laughs) right? Until you ask it a question about say who invented DNA or who found DNA. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting with it open on my computer right now because I was, and I type in who, discovered the double helix and i probably should be sharing my screen for this but it's not two computers makes it hard and so it talks about how james watson how watson and crick are the ones that found the double helix well the helix was actually found by rosalind franklin Mm -hmm. so we raced her contributions to society Mm -hmm. and then the other thing that chat GPT does is it remembers everything that you type in and makes it part of its model, mm-hmm. right? So if you go in and correct it with factual information, it's going to start correcting it, it by the nature of how AI works. It's going to start correcting itself. Mm-hmm. It's going to go in and it's going to say, hey, I've seen a few people tell me that Ros- Rosalind Fla- Franklin is the one who found DNA and made the discovery possible mm-hmm. and the double helix. So I'm going to update that. And now I'll give a caveat when I give my an- my original answer. So an inferential to, AI is supposed to be the less concerning one and it can still do that. Supposed to be supposed to be. Okay. But inferential AI gets to a point where what are we asking it to do? Mm-hmm. We're asking chat GPT to print out content based on a query that we ask mm-hmm. inferential API or AI is where that decision-making and that thought process becomes part of the AI itself. Okay, so we're talking about like a neural network. Yes, that's a neural net, right? And so that's when it starts getting scales bigger and and, and it's exponentially bigger than even the, the large language models that we use now, mm-hmm. right? So I think that that's really where we need... We, when we talk about AI, we talk about it as this holistic, one big, one-size-fits-all approach, but it's really made up of large models 
that do different things, right? Like what's the, so, cause it's like, I'm also, I've played around with the new Adobe Photoshop mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. generative image mm-hmm. tool. So what is mm-hmm. the difference between AI versus just saying new technology? Like what, well, what classifies something as AI specifically? That's a great question. I don't think anybody really, really knows the answer for So I could make something and just call it AI and people will go crazy. Well, I mean, it has, like, how do you define AI? Let's ask the AI. (laughs) Define yourself, please. How do you define AI? Because I knew I was going to be typing things in. So AI is, so it says AI is a branch of computer science that involves the development of car- computer systems capable of performing tasks that usually require human intelligence, right? That's okay. the, that's the one sentence answer. So narrow AI is where you're asking the AI to, ident- to identify my voice from yours mm-hmm. or give me a recommendation. Like if I type into Google, what do I want for dinner? Some, some AI is going to come back and says, this is what you want for dinner. So how right, got different from some of the machines we've had, let's say in factories, where it differentiates between one product and another for labeling? Those because are very that's all simple machines. Those are very simple, and those are all that's the same concept. But those are all programmed and trained by humans instead of the model, instead of the AI training itself, based on an ingestion of data. Got it. So AI, you can put data in, and it continues to learn. Versus a machine right. that you program, you exactly. put the data in, and that's the limit of the information. So, like you look at a mach- uh, a welding machine at an auto body factory, it only knows how to do that because somebody has uploaded the plans for the auto body that needs to be welded, mm-hmm. and tells the the robot these are the exact points based on these, like a video game, based on these uh, points on a graph. Put a weld here and do this weld. Somebody's told to do that based on their engineering output. AI would take that data and say, okay, I know how to do this so that when you give me the next model, I already know how I'm going to go out and weld that car together or that thing, right? And so without, it gets smarter the more data that it takes in. So this is where some of the ethics start to become a massive question and cybersecurity kind of circling into what our topic is today. Because if you're looking at people hacking malware, and just even just people inputting negative things over and over, which is going to happen because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's part of human nature. I mean, you get, you know, kids on the Internet just putting out memes that are funny to them, but it's overall toxic for humanity in general. Well, kinds of we look at happen. look at Microsoft's first foray into um, an AI chatbot a few years ago where they had to knock it offline within a day because it suddenly became a neo-Nazi. And that was the were... one that was going deep into the dark web, right? No, no, it wasn't going deep dark web. It the um It was just on Facebook. <laughs> um it was the one that would people were that Twitter taught how to be a, a racist in a matter of hours. And it was named I mean, Tay. that's Twitter. <laughs> right, but it, this was back in 2016. Mm-hmm. And so they launched and Within a few hours, they had it basically responding with anti-Semitic, anti-women, anti, just all the horrible things that you can think of that Twitter has become. Mm-hmm. Within a few hours, they've trained that AI to go in and basically reverse itself and become something that it was never intended to be, right? And and as AI becomes more prevalent, we have to look at the people programming the AI models. 
it sounds like that that's just a massive vulnerability with any AI in general from something well, as innocent yeah. as the Photoshop to chat GPT. It's going to, because it relies heavily exactly. on the entire human race to be training it. And that's, that could be a really scary thought. Exactly. And that's the, and that's when we talk about ethics in AI, that's really what we mean. Um, not only from not letting it become racist and a neo-Nazi in a few hours, but as we use it more for decision-making, right? There are more and more platforms that are reading resumes as you apply for jobs. Uh, there is even AI-based video interview software where you sit in front of your computer and answer questions. Mm -hmm. And the AI is judging you based on your response and based on, mm, excuse me, you know, an eye based contact. on how your face moves. It can, right. it can recognize all those mm -hmm. patterns. And so the problem is if, and they found this and there's a great book and I recommend everybody read it. It's called Weapons of Math Destruction. Weapons of um, Math Destruction. Math dis Destruction. I'm going to put yes. that link. I'll put an Amazon yep. link in the description. And it's all about, it's all about these AI models that have been trained by straight white computer programmers. Mm -hmm. And so if a black woman applies to these and these AI models are used to identify, they're going to promote the white applicants over the black. Wow. Because there's completely unaware of that. Right. Because there's an, even though you may not have a bias that you're aware of, everybody has biases somewhere. And if we don't catch those biases, they make their way into the AI models. Not mm -hmm. because somebody's going, I only want white men to go be able to do things. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. But because of the way that people see the world. Mm -hmm. And so this is why, as I've gone further in my career, I've really made it a point to amplify the voices and the careers of women, people of color, people who are underrepresented mm -hmm. in the industry that I work in, because I work in an industry dominated by white guys, boring ass white guys. Well, and that's really interesting because you see those same issues showing up in um, science in general. Mm -hmm. I was just recently at the National Strength Coaches Conference, and some of the interesting things that we were hearing about is the amount of peer-reviewed research studies that are done on women. And mm -hmm. most science, I, I don't want to say most because I'm just looking at my specific niche, but a lot of scientific studies done in strength and conditioning are primarily done on men in their 20s. Mm -hmm. We don't have great data sets on the effects of strength and conditioning for women or or populations that are aging or populations that are disabled. So mm -hmm. that is a, you know, it's not necessarily a malicious bias. It's not mm -hmm. like these coaches are like, I only want to study young. No, but I mean, but that's right. who that's, those are the populations that are just showing up that are for some of it. It's a bias is, Oh, it's easier to study these guys because they don't menstruate. So they just mm -hmm. don't study the women because there's a more complex variable with researching them. So not all the and, biases are are malicious. They're just, they still exist. Right. And it's just because of our history. There's another great book called Medical Apartheid, which is about black women being the subject of medical testing mm -hmm. and the ethics behind that. And it's not so much AI, but it talks about the inherent differences that black women have and how they're, and even to this day, how black women are perceived by doctors and how they've been trained. Not because the doctor is a racist and hates dealing with black people, but mm -hmm. because of the inherent underlying biases that our culture has created, and we're getting way off track from AI here, but there, there are a whole bunch of things that go into how we build these models. And these models are only as good as what you feed them. And so if we don't put guardrails in place that protect AI from being able to emulate people, from being able to be tampered with from 
bad information being inserted into the model. And even worse, and we'll get into the cybersecurity aspect of it and the scary stuff there. But um, if we don't put those guardrails around it, AI is going to become more and more of a problem as we rely on it to make more and more decisions in our daily life. Everything from where you live when you fill out a rental application to what credit card interest rate you're going to get to what car loan interest rate you're going to get to what schools you're going to get into is all starting to be predicted and modeled back to by AI. And as as it, as this use grows without some real ethicity behind ethicity behind I don't know what word I'm looking for, but okay. without those ethic, yeah, those ethical guardrails, that's, that's a better way to say it. it. Without those ethical guardrails in place, we're going to have a harder time controlling what we are, we ourselves have created because they don't so, need, they don't need to follow explicitly programmed boundaries like we've traditionally dealt with. It will start making its own boundaries. So that kind of, you know, kind of reminds me of, again, Vicky with iRobot. Mm -hmm. She thought she was doing the best thing for the human race. She right. realized that humanity had become its own greatest problem. I think that's the same issue with Skynet when it became self-aware, mm -hmm. is the AI decides, my greatest task is to protect humanity, but humanity is the biggest problem, so I'm going to scale humanity back and start from scratch. So these kind of trials... <laughs> You know, all right, Thanos. <laughs> um, that's that's that's. I think that's an individual thought. I'm I'm still holding out for humanity. I think we've still. I'll hold out for humanity. I don't. I'm not ready to hand my all my decision making and and planning central planning over to some AI model that I don't know what's in there. I I still hold that little hope. But every day that I sit on social media, I start to. Hey, we're fixing the ozone. We're fixing the ice caps. We can do it. I yeah, believe right. in us. Reality check. The science of fiction. So, you know, but if we do look at these machines, is that the kind of guardrails we're talking about is protecting them from making decisions? I guess my biggest question I'm getting to is can machines make an ethics based decision or is it always going to be a logic based decision? Well, that's the question that I don't think we anybody knows the answer to yet mm -hmm. is as these large AI models grow what are they capable of? I don't think we know what they're capable of yet. I don't think we have any idea of what we want them to be capable of, right? Yeah. When we talk about it in relation to um, those three laws that we mentioned that the movie hits on. May not I, think are, I think that that's one of the great places to start because mm -hmm. those three laws seemed bulletproof. Right. I was watching the movie. I'm like, oh yeah, solid. I was like uh, the, the lady scientist you know, I was like, nothing can penetrate these laws. But here's the problem with those laws. Laws are gray. They're not black or white. They're not a true false binary option, right? Mm -hmm. So if somebody comes in or forgets to patch or forgets to address a specific flaw, that AI has to make a yes, no decision. And that yes, no decision could not be the one you want. And we talk about, I, I, we brought it up earlier at the beginning where we were talking about the drone that was that overrode its commands and went and took out the mil this fake military base. Mm -hmm. And because even though it's operated told on to, it's like, nope, I'm shutting it down. I'm going to do what I want. Turns out that story was overblown by the media. Surprise, surprise. We're also surprised. Right. And secondly, that's a real flaw, right? Because what if the AI believes it's doing something for the better good or something within the parameters that it's been told, told to stay within? Right. A logic based, but it's, but it's assessment. a gray area, but it's a gray area. 
Mm-hmm. Right? How many times has your logic said, nope, I shouldn't do this and I'm going to be hard dead set against it? And then you're like, yeah, maybe I'll look at it. And... Well, that's the interesting thing, though, because that Life is is that makes, that's one thing that makes humans so special, 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 we're special people, mm. is that we do have emotions and those emotions are something that leads to different decisions. Mm-hmm. I, I just at the national conference recently, we are attending a lecture based on decision making. Mm-hmm. And the presenter was talking about what goes into decision making for any person. And one of the interesting things that was presented was for a human being, not for technology, but when presented with the exact same information, humans can still come to different conclusions. Right. And that's, Your values are different than my values. Right. And that's emotion right? driven. If we all were operating off of pure logic, then we could logic our way to the exact same conclusion. So the machines, we could logic them to do anything. I could convince mm-hmm. a machine to do anything if my logic skills and debate skills were good enough. Mm-hmm. But um, humans always have that emotional factor. And I think it's something that we see a lot in politics. You know, you love, well, I mean, I don't know if anyone loves politics anymore, but it's like, it's an it's a topic of interest for you. And yeah. it's something we see a lot of politicians, they, they're very good at logic they logic their way to a conclusion and they logic the public into believing their conclusion. Well, then there's okay. and look, at, look at 2020. Look at 2020, right? Mm-hmm. We had an election. We knew what the, the, it took longer to get the results that everybody needed to declare themselves mm-hmm. victory. But you still have one group of people who are convinced the guy that didn't win won mm-hmm. because yeah, that's, very, the, that's their logic plan. That's their grad plan. And so it becomes it becomes emotional, and as you grow attached to something, that those decision making processes become more and more illogical. If you're looking at it from a pure logic standpoint, right? Blindly following a politician because that feel is totally within your right. If you've if you've gone down that glide path, on the other hand, math doesn't lie, right? Math is a universal law, right? So at what point? Does a computer that's based in this universal law that we call math mm-hmm. be able to override the laws of mathematics and do what it wants? And if we allow those, if we don't put the rails in place and we don't have those ethical frameworks in place, the ability for robots or AI systems to interpret those laws and directives have significant ethical implications and mm-hmm. potentially unintended consequences. Yeah, because a uh, a robot could look at, you know, let's just say kittens, mm-hmm. and a human's like, oh, kittens, little baby cats, they're so cute, they're so sweet, mm-hmm. I love them, and the computer could make a logic-based decision and run through the statistics and go, okay, the majority of people are allergic to kittens, they grow up to be cats, they're not good for society, let's kill all the kittens. Oh. You know, as humans, we have the emotions. We're like, no, don't kill the kids. But, we, but we've asked the AI to c- control the cat population, right? Yeah, we've asked it to control the issues with allergies. Right. And so it's now moderating <laughs> that off of a pure logic decision with holes in it. Oh. And now we have nowhere cats left. And then the mice population gets out of control. And then we have a new plague. So it's there's, I mean, I could just see this domino effect happening so quickly with something so simple. So Whereas now let's take it. In, a human can still make those emotion-based or just a more complete informed decision that a robot can't do. Now, let's put it in a bigger system. Let's put it in the United States nuclear response Which is playbook. 
my understanding, that's why they keep it old tech for specifically that reason. That's exactly it because you can't hack into it because it's all on technology that you can't connect to the what we now know as the internet. Mm -hmm. But what if we were putting those defense mechanisms, even the first line of defense, and mm -hmm. it and a flock of seagulls approached, but it had a similar signature to a flock of bird or a, a a group of planes that were coming over from mm -hmm. Russia. Well, now we start lobbing nuclear missiles around and it becomes a real problem, right? Mm -hmm. Because it says, I see this radar signature. It matches what I'm expecting to be from a plane. I, that just doesn't end well, right? Like there's a, like, that's a big down the road thing, but it's still something that we have to take into account when we talk about this garbage. More for just us everyday people. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm using technology on my computer. I have, you know, it's like I have a, I have a phone. I'm surrounded by tech. How can everyday how how can everyday people protect themselves from some of these emerging technologies while also still using them? Because I don't have any intention of becoming Amish. So I know that I need to adapt into the changing world while also still learning the new safety and security. I don't want to be like the old people, you know, bless their hearts. When email came out, they were clicking on everything and mm -hmm. you know, filling their computer up with viruses. Mm -hmm. I, I still want to learn right. about the new things as they're coming out. Right. And so I don't think we will have a choice to not be exposed to it. And the reason mm -hmm. I say that is because I look at stuff like self-driving cars, like what Tesla has been able to mm -hmm. come up with, with the self-driving cars. How many times has that actually run into somebody and caused problems? Does it get hyped by the media because Elon Musk is always in front of the news? Yeah. Probably. Is it still a, is it still a problem that we need to address on how to identify a bicyclist versus the road. Yeah. But what happens if with software updates, what happens if the supply chain behind the AI that we use, right? Like your, you mentioned your phone, your phone is probably a Google phone or a Samsung phone and it, mm -hmm. and it has a special chip in it. That's just for AI computation and use. Mm -hmm. to predict what you're going to do to make it so that it runs faster when it knows what you're going to do. When you wake up, it knows you have your routine. When you go to bed, it knows you have your routine. And so it makes it a little faster for you to do stuff. on that. Or it makes it slower because it or, wants you to get a new phone. Well, there is that, right? There is the planned obsolescence of it. But mm -hmm. I think as we see AI being more and more a part of our daily life, it becomes more imperative that the people who are using AI in these in these ways, banks, you telephone companies. Just no, 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 no. We're the regular users. We need to be informed when AI is making a decision for us. Okay. Right? I need to be informed when my phone, when, when my bank is doing something based off an AI model versus something that they've decided because I'm mm -hmm. a customer, right? Mm -hmm. they, my car can't go into AI mode without me hitting a button. Okay. Stuff like that, right? Where I have a physical control where I can disconnect. If I don't want to right. be connected to the internet, I can disconnect. Yeah, we're thinking Will Smith back in his fancy car. He wants to right. switch to manual. Everyone, why'd you switch right. to manual? Nobody does that. But right. you want that control. He was being attacked by robots. He right. needed to go to manual. And that's the problem with a supply chain-based attack, right? When we talk about AI and we talk about how people will use these models negatively, that's one of them, right? You have to keep as much manual control as you possibly can if you don't want to have your life dictated by AI. But I think that that line is becoming more and more blurred as we go forward and it becomes more and more prevalent in the day-to-day -day 
So what does that look like right now with our current technologies and the average person's exposure, mm -hmm. exposure and usage of AI? Well, I mean, it, it, it shows up in different ways. Um, Gmail, when you're looking through Gmail, your email is being scanned by Google's AI algorithm to, to build their large language model that they use called Baird. Okay. Your Google Docs are scanned by AI to make to check. We use AI, and you talked about my background in cyber in um, digital forensics and incident response. AI is becoming more and more used to identify dirty data, and when I say dirty data, I mean um, images that we don't want to talk about or think about, but we know are out there because the internet is a real thing, and we see people getting busted for. Uh, are we talking about like you know, child human trafficking? Yeah, human trafficking, child pornography, that kind of stuff. The way that they are able to identify victims of human trafficking and um, child sex trade is because they can start to identify, is because somebody figured out a way that if we start watching the videos and the content that they're putting out on the internet, we can start to get, we can start to put places together. Mm. We can start to use the objects in a room to kind of get an idea of what hotel they're at and what city they're at based on. Or pizza boxes. <laughs> or pizza boxes, right? If you're, yeah. There are. And if you don't like if, if AI was to distinguish my room that I'm in right now, it would see the pictures that I've got. It would see the books and it would start to be able to kind of come up with an idea of not only who I am, but where I am. Right. Like you could it could start to tell that I'm at home versus I'm at work based on my background. And so we use AI to go in and find these images so that you're not paying somebody to sit behind a computer in a dark room and look at all these horrific images. That's what Facebook security does. Now, this Facebook sounds like it's a good technology, though. It's like, great it sounds technology. Like it's something that can be used for a lot of good. Yeah, it's great technology. It's used for a lot of good, and it helps law enforcement prevent the burnout of agents. It helps see social media companies that are trying to take down bad data. Live streams of mass shootings that we've seen on Facebook have all been identified by people sitting in rooms or AI that's identified. Mm -hmm. Dropbox uses AI, and the other cloud providers use AI to predict if you've got child porn based on the image signature, because if you break down an image into ones and zeros, a picture that's been copied 150,000 times across the internet will still have that same image. So you can start to piece together who's mm -hmm. got, who's downloaded that image and go after them and usually find more. Mm -hmm. But when you hear stories about how Dropbox informed the local police department that so-and-so had 150,000 child porn images in this Dropbox folder, that's how. They're not looking at every file that you upload. They're using AI to go and do a pattern match on the digital signature on these files to identify child porn. So AI has its place. AI has its place yeah. for image recognition and identification. The same way that if you take a picture of something that you don't know what it is, or you're in a foreign country and you take a picture of a street sign, it's going to automatically translate it for you and tell you what it says or identify what, what it is that you're looking at. So it sounds like the technologies, you know, just like with anything that humans can come up with could be used for good or bad. And right. for the large part right now, because my, my question was, you know, average everyday people right now, what mm -hmm. our usage is looking like. Sounds like right now it's being used for good. Yeah. But the powers in control of these technologies are going to be the ones who dictate how it can be right. used to get used. Right. If it can tell me where I'm at now, now it's like for bad, it can start saying, Hey, this person's here and start false 
flagging me. Or or making a video that has you saying something and making your lips move. And we've deep seen the, the deep fakes, right? That's a real issue in politics and current events. Mm-hmm. If I can get Barack Obama to say something racist or another presidential candidate to say something racist, mm-hmm. I can tank their campaign. Right. Right. There were thoughts in 2016 when the Access Hollywood tape came out that it was a deep fake that somebody had generated. Mm-hmm. Because it was just audio. It was just Donald Trump's... Like, the part that everybody got offended about, and rightly so, the part that everybody heard was just audio, right? Because mm-hmm. the, the camera was outside the bus. So theoretically, AI could go in and pattern match Donald Trump's voice the same way my bank pattern matches my voice when I call in and says, say if you say your code word to identify yourself, and it uses that pattern match to identify me from you. Mm-hmm. Like, if you called from my phone and called my, my bank and it said say your code word and you said the same code word, it would know me from you. Right. But these deep fakes can be very problematic and we don't know who's controlling them. We don't know who's using them for what. And we don't know what the implications are when it comes to how they'll be used in the future. So more than likely for your just, you know, because I feel like, uh, you know, politicians, celebrities, anyone who's in the spotlight in Elon Musk, those are highly Mm -hmm. vulnerable people that are probably getting a number of cyber attacks on mm-hmm. them every hour. And mm-hmm. they more than likely have a whole team of experts behind their cybersecurity. You would hope. You would hope. You would think. You would assume. But what about just, you know, I'm a podcaster. Yeah. I have an email and I have a bank account. Are, am I am I at risk? Yeah. Am I not a concern? No, you're you're at risk if somebody if somebody wants your if somebody wants your data, they're gonna figure out a way to get it. Mm-hmm. And you can put all the extra security behind it. You can put all, but we talk about the voice pattern matching. Now, what if somebody was able to go pattern match my voice and get me to say my code word for my bank mm-hmm. into the bank system and it was able to pattern match me because an AI, how does it know that it's not me talking versus an AI, mm-hmm. right? It's the same AI that if you use um, your face to unlock your phone, all it's doing is taking a, a, a digital fingerprint of your face and your eyes and turning it into an AI model. And the AI model is saying, yep, that's you. Nope, that's not him. Yep, that's him. Nope, that's not him. Somebody else is looking at his phone. Mm-hmm. So what's to, and, and we've seen there, you can, where law enforcement has used that to unlock people's phones and force them to unlock their phones, right? Because they can't unlock their phone. There's no way to get into an Apple phone. If I give you my phone, there's no way for you to get into it, theoretically. Mm-hmm. There are tools out there you can use to hack it. It's like but, the Mission Impossible, the fake face. Right. Right. The, even the fake face won't work because it doesn't match the actual contours. It's mathematically extracted from my pretty face, right? Um, it's but a what if it does? Shot. Yeah, it is. But what if somebody does get to that point? What mm-hmm. guardrails? What? How do we protect ourselves from that level of impersonation? Impersonation attacks are nothing new, right? It, you see it all the time when you get, I get text messages like if I if there's a big meeting going on or a big work event, I get text messages from fake uh, from scammers all the time. Hey, this is your boss. I need you to go buy me a bunch of gift cards at, uh, and bring them back and send me pictures. <laughs> and those are so obvious. Right. I've been a personal trainer now for over a decade. I always get this one like once a week. Right. They'll they'll say that they need personal training for their three deaf daughters, and it's right. always the same one. And they ask if I take credit card. I'm like, how's this right. still happening? Right, because people fall for it. It's the same way that people, how does, how does spam email keep happening? Because if, if, if you send out 200,000 emails 
and two people click on it and it generates $20 for you. That's 20 more dollars than you had before. So it, it becomes the, it, it's, it's the law of large numbers. And that's why we work so hard in the information security space to protect those resources. Because yeah, you get that email or that text message or that email. But sometimes it's an accounting clerk that's like, oh, yep, this is a person that I've worked with before. I'm just going to go ahead and wire this money that they've asked me to wire that I was planning on doing. And it goes to a bank account that you didn't plan on going to. I've seen that happen. Yeah. Well, I've, I, you know, it's like there's the joke circling around on Pinterest. If you're planning a wedding, send an invite to all the billionaires yeah. that you can get their address and their secretary will probably just send you a thank you card and a check because right. they're not even going to look at it. Right. It, 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 so, so what I'm hearing is that these threats of they're there. They've always been there, mm-hmm. but they've been, you know, I don't want to put anyone down who's ever fallen for these because some of them are more convincing than others, but mm-hmm. it sounds like for the most part, they've been pretty easily identifiable. Oh yeah. But, but because of AI, these threats are start, they're starting to become harder to identify and more, what do you say? Omnipresent. More personal, more personal, the more okay. targeted towards you. Right. Like if I can extract information about you and I can voice print somebody that if, if I can voice print somebody, you know, as a voice, um, your, your, your sibling, your parent and all up and say, Hey, I'm in jail in a foreign country and I'm at this location. I need this much mm-hmm. money. Why, what are you going to do? You're going to run out. And wire... a, that's a common senior scam. They scam right. senior citizens with that one regularly. But now it's, but now it's getting to the point where when they run that scam, they're using it using information that you've left out on the internet that they figured out and they figured out how to make it more and more personal and target. Yeah. Yeah. So they couldn't call me and you at the same time and run that same scam. Mm-hmm. But they'd call you and use something that would trigger you to do it. Right. Like mm-hmm. and that's the scary part. That's yeah, the mentioning that mentioning me. somebody's pet or right. some personal piece of information. Right. Something that nobody else would know that you may have, that, that they've, they've just happened to extrapolate from somewhere. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to know where. It just has to be something that you wouldn't normally tell somebody or sure. And that's their in. And now, is this yeah, AI doing this or is this some, you know, because it's like I'm imagining either like an evil Vicky hacking my bank account to steal $5 from me because that's all that's in there, or I'm imagining some kid in a hoodie hacking on his computer who specifically targeted me. Yeah, but what's the, oh, it's probably both, mm-hmm. right? We're getting to the point now when it comes to um, cybersecurity defenses that we we're using AI to detect who's using AI to hack systems because now no longer do you need to know how to hack. You tell the AI to do it and it'll do it for you. The same theory of telling chat GPT to go spit you out an application. It will go and write you a whole application. If you tell it what you want it to do. Right. If you know what, if you know what you want in a, a, a program or an application to do, you go and tell AI and it'll start laying out what you need to do and giving you the code to do it. And I know that uh, universities are working on, well, I don't know if it's universities specifically, but there are AI tools that are being developed to help against mm-hmm. plagiarized essays, mm-hmm. essays and research at universities. Yeah. They still want you to do the research. They still want yeah. you to do the work, but it's like what's stopping people from using a uh, chat GPT as a tool to help enhance their Nothing. writing or enhance their essay. Nothing. I mean, you give a, you give, you give chat GPT or another AI model just enough information that's going to spit out whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Be it a 70 page re- uh, research paper that you had to do and it'll give you almost factual sources. You still have to go through and check it because I think that's how they catch you. But it's getting point now where 
people are writing programs that will go in and instead of asking the AI to spit something out, it'll say, you recognize this. And it'll say, yeah, I recognize this. I wrote this at this time, at this date. Mm -hmm. And it was in response to this query because like we talked about at the beginning, these AI models suck in everything that you teach it. And so it's a real threat in corporate America where you go in and you start typing, hey, help me draft this responder to, uh, to, for legal filing and spit it out and it spits it out, but it leaves in the fact, it leaves in little nuggets that if you don't check, it's going to give it away that it was generated by AI. So I think they're, they're using that kind of like with that when we, when we were in college and we would upload the picture, the paper into the content man, the course management system, mm -hmm. and it would run a plagiarism check to see if it mm -hmm. matched any sources. Right. Oh, no, this came from Wikipedia. He stole it from this source. He didn't cite right. this. Right. I think it's getting to that point with AI as well. The problem with AI is, are they going to be fast enough to catch every single model that's out there? And every, because yeah. everybody's AI is so big right now. Everybody's kind of generating their own models and creating their own models for the right. ground up. Right. So, so that's the other, th that's the other threat. So kind of thinking about uh, like a centralized or a decentralized type system because mm -hmm. um, I do want to kind of try and keep it relevant to the movie iRobot and right. thinking about Vicky specifically because she was the she was the evil entity mm -hmm. in iRobot. She was the big threat to humanity because previous to the update with Vicky, they were just sort of the the dumb robots that were that were pretty helpful for the most part. Mm -hmm. And they were helping grandma stay independent, cleaning the house, walking the dog. Right. But as soon as Vicky came out and she was able to start making these uh, more, more, you know, artificially intelligent, intelligent type decisions, she was able to control the masses of robots for large scale destruction. Right. So and with, that's the problem with centralization. Right. So in our current climate right now with AI, is it centralized? Is it decentralized? Are they all different? Like, what does it kind of look like right now? Just the... Just kind of paint a picture for me, the general landscape, because I yeah. I so, know. so every company is trying to figure out how they're going to use AI in a, in their day to day operations. Because if one person's doing it, especially the big tech sectors, right? And when we talk about the big tech tech sectors, we're talking about Facebook, we're talking about or sorry, Meta, Meta, Twitter. Oh, who else is that? Microsoft, Google, yeah, Microsoft, Alphabet. Twitter, Google, the big, the big five tech companies, mm -hmm. right? It's a race to see who can get the most AI and get their models out first. And then every other company is trying to figure out how they're going to use it. So, so the big companies that can't afford it because it's expensive to run AI are building out their AI models and trying to get them out to the market as fast as can. Okay. Other companies are hanging on or investing in other models where by the power of collectivity, 15 companies can get together, build an AI model that suits their needs and they work okay. together and they share the data. So right now, AI is very decentralized, kind of like the internet itself. The internet is okay. not one thing that you can blow up and take it offline. Right. The, it's server, it's server farms throughout the entire planet. Right. It's satellites. It's, 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 yeah, it's a complex routing, but there's no one, like there's no one router that we can there's not with. some, some shiny blue box at the center of right. the earth. It's like, that is the internet. It's everywhere. Right. Right. And so as AI grows, we're going to either see it become more decentralized, which is what I'm, and smaller in 
individual nodes to interact with each other, but don't depend on each other, okay. which is what I personally am hoping for. Or you're going to see a consolidation of all that information because at the end of the day, he who ha they who have the most information have the most power. Right. And so right. if we see that consolidation and it becomes centralized, then it becomes much more scary. So that's if we're looking at, um, just to kind of put it in film terms, if in, you know, cause we got a big, uh, MMA fight coming up apparently. So let's just take meta. Let's take a, what is the new one? Threads. Let's take threads versus Twitter. Mm -hmm. If, if meta threads and Mark Zuckerberg, if their company becomes so big, let's say they're, let's say they're Skynet mm -hmm. versus Elon Musk's company, they could get so big and they're Vicky. So you have these two ultra powerful, ultra intelligent entities that are, that could be a threat right. versus a more positive potential outlook would be, it's just scattered all over the place. It's not that big brother eagle eye thing. It's every little person's interpretation mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. Yep. No, I mean, that's, that's a hundred percent right. And the threat is as that consolidation for power becomes more prevalent, what does it do to the independent researchers? What does it do to the small, right? The small mom and pop research shops. And I, I, I use that term to kind of put it into Walmart versus Amazon terms, but we see it, it'll be similar to what happened with Amazon and the bot and the retail stores. Right. It's going right. to get consolidated. One group is going to have control and you can, and we don't know what they're putting into those models. We don't know how they're training those models. We don't know what they're ingesting and we don't know the science of what's, of what's, outputting the decision. Okay. And if we open source that and make it so that other people can see what's going on inside of these complex computer programs, we will never know and we will never be able to secure it and we will never be able to protect ourselves from a threat like this. So it sounds like uh, like lawmakers become a very important part of this equation right now because we do have some very large companies with very large monopolies. You know, I, I, Disney comes to mind. Disney right. owns everything if you guys don't know right. it like disney owns espn disney owns mm -hmm. just just about the whole world so right. when you have these companies that are as powerful as disney how do we fragment that back down and keep it in a safer less centralized system we have to elect people who know what's going on which is the problem that we have right now, because if you look at the makeup of our federal lawmakers and the people who set federal tech policy, none of them, <clears throat> wow, let me rephrase. Very, 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 very few have any idea of how the internet or technology at all works, right? Just, yeah, I mean, half these guys like, were born before the internet. I mean, right. like they, they- Half of them were born before we had a computer, when computers yeah, were they, still in one room. They know right. how to read from a teleprompter and that's it. And that's it. Everybody and else so, is running the tech forum. The older, and this doesn't sound ageist, but I, and I really don't intend it to be, but the, the, the older that our um, representation gets and the more that we continue to elect people who have zero clue about what's going on, go listen to a hearing that they had with Meta a few months ago and you'll just hear how they don't get it. Mm -hmm. Um that's the scary part because the controls that we need to have in place, we have to rely on people in their 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s to come up and say, we need to protect this and we need to do it this way. And I think that yeah. that's where people get lost. No, and that that really, uh, you know, it kind of makes me think again of iRobot and the inventor. I can't remember his name. Who was the guy who invented Sunny, the good robot? 
Uh, he was the um, one who invented all the tech. I'm going to look him up. He's uh, Lanning, Alfred Lanning. Right, right, right. So, you know, we have guys like that, and it's like he was aware of the threat of Vicky. Mm-hmm. Now, right now, already I'm just, you know, I'm drawing parallels that may or may not exist based, on, based off of my limited information. Um, but, you know, Elon Musk, he's like, hey, you know, we need to be worried about this tech right now. He signed the petition. He's like, we need to slow it down. So he even he, even the even the creators of chat GPT have said, you need to give us guard, legislative guardrails where this is going to get control. Right, right. And the problem is we don't have people who know what those guardrails need to be and they don't want to listen to who do. Yeah. Without yeah, going so Elon Musk is almost. Right. Yeah, similar to sort of the I, I just pulled it up on Internet Movie Database. Dr. Alfred Lanning. Yep. He was he was uh cre- he created Sonny, the robot to help mm-hmm. fight against Vicky because Vicky was the centralized intelligence, whereas yeah. Sonny was you know, it's interesting because we kind of went off on a tangent away from the movie and talked about these two different systems, but it circles back to the movie, which is so old in the book, even, you know, it's like, when was the book written? The book was you have an idea. The 1980s. Hold on. Wow. That's incredible. And that just goes to show some of the brilliance of our, our forefathers and what they were able to think. Of I'm sorry. Us. It was written in 1950. So it's still, that's a long time. That's it's pretty old. As far as these I got conversations. Yeah, no, but that's still you but think it, about. But it goes back in time, right? Here's the thing: it right. goes back in time, so it it starts way, way back in time and ends up in 2035. Mm-hmm. So, oh, that's when the book takes. No, place. that's the scary. That's the scary part, and 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 the fact that that's spooky. That's coming up. We're on track, right? I know, and and it and it shows the it showed a bunch of important concepts in modern software engineering, which is vulnerabilities and patch management to keep your systems from being compromised and pretend prevent them from doing things that you don't intend them it talks about ai and machine learning and the prevalence of it and it talks about centralization versus decentralized which is why the internet was designed to be decentralized and it also talks about the ethics that need to go into these large models if we're going to let robots do things we need to control them and we need to put guardrails around them and Mm -hmm. and those guardrails are going to be imperative as we get as we get further down this rabbit hole of AI in the modern age. And we could almost even incorporate, and it sounds like we are, because, you know, Sonny, the good robot in iRobot, he was decentralized and his purpose, what he was created for was to help fight against the big, big bad guys, Vicky, Skynet, whatever you Mm want to call it. And it sounds like we do. We are working on creating similar technologies. They're much smaller, but we have our own small AI systems that help fight against the big, bad AI systems. No, and we're using AI to defeat AI, right? That's the other thing. Yeah. I don't think people realize is how much of the modern network defenses and cybersecurity apparatus that we use is based in using AI to detect what people are using AI to attack us with. It's kind of this weird circle. Well, it's really quite impressive because you think about the history of humanity and it was... You know, early man, that's my dog in the background. Sorry, guys. I got a low budget camera. You should, uh, this is a good time to mention that you can join me as a Patreon and donate to the podcast. Um, This is just my pilot season and I'm hoping for season two to have better camera equipment. So you don't need to listen to the dog quenching his thirst in the background. (laughs) But back to the um, 
the question I was asking is, you know, early man, it was bigger, stronger, the bigger fist won. And then mm -hmm. it was the smarter guy with the tool. Mm -hmm. He had tools and he could win. And then this guy was even smarter. He could create tools and fire. And it was just, it's always been humanity escalating our knowledge to enhance mm -hmm. ourselves. And I talked about this on another episode in this season, soldier augmentation and human augmentation in general. Right. Um, but it's always seeming like it's still humans. It's still us. And AI is still just the weapon we create for good or bad. And technology in itself isn't bad. It's the humans who are creating it and what we intend to do with it, which yep. ends up, I, it just feels like it's just going to continue on. It's AI always, is not the problem. AI, I just want to say to your listeners, AI is not the problem. AI is not the, it's, it's the humans that are programming the AI that are the problem that we need to put controls around. The AI is going to do what it's going to do based on the ones and zeros that we point at it and expect it to return. The controls and the guardrails that we keep talking about and people keep asking for around AI is all to control the people to keep the people from doing bad. Because at the end of the day, you're right. It's a machine and the machine only knows two things, a one or a zero, lots of ones and zeros, but all it knows is a one and a zero. And it's the humans that we have to worry about the most. Yeah. And that's yeah, either that's... a good thing for humanity because we've seen it since the beginning of time, or it could be turn out to be a very dark thing that we're going to end up having to fight against. <clears throat> You know what? And I'll just say this again. I believe in humans. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a few bad eggs out there that can do some pretty horrific things on a very large scale, but humanity seems to continue to pull through. And I do believe that people, you know, people might say terrible things, but at the end of the day, we do care about each other. And if you were, you know, maybe you make fun of someone on the internet, but if you were alone with that person and you saw them suffering, our empathy would kick in and we would feel compelled to care for and nurture that person. And it's almost, it's, almost, bit of it's almost like we need to de decentralize humanity because we're so much better to each other in small groups. And yep. the more centralized we get on the internet, the meaner we get. Yep. It's like AI <clears> went <throat> to nut. You know, I'm kind of having that conclusion right now. It's just a reflection of us. Smaller large, good, larger groups bad. It's the law of large numbers. Yeah. Right. Well, let's kind of let's kind of tie some of these big key yeah. points together. Let's let's do our let's do our reality check. So, um, okay. pulling up our scoring scale, we have pure fiction, speculative science, fringe reality, emerging fact, and science fact. Let's score yeah. today's topic on the feasibility of a centralized AI system, kind of just controlling. You know, I, I don't want to say robots because we don't have robots right now. But let's just say centralized AI controlling society. Five. Where are we at on that? Five. Science so, fact. Science fact. It is happening. Yep. Sweet. And maybe not by 2035, like the movies shows, but within the next 50 years, it's going to be a one. It it's going to be a part of our reality. Okay. Okay. And what can we do about it? So let's kind of, you know, we're wrapping things up. Um, is there anything else you wanted to say about this technology? And I really just want to end this on a positive note. What yeah. can we what can we what can we do about it to protect ourselves? Should we be scared? Number one, explore it. If you're curious about it, explore it. Number two, vote. And everybody says that, but vote. And vote for people who understand this and understand the reality. And 
I'm not saying that you need to run for office or be political if you're listening and you're like, nope, I don't want to do that. You just need to vote. We need to vote smart people in. We need to get past where we are in the state of politics. And I say that as somebody who's worked in politics and tech, we need to get to that. And frankly, for a long time, wanted to do IT or technology policy for the government, but it was it's become untenuous. We need to just vote for smart people. We need smart leaders. And then we need to clap back on some of these companies that have a lot of our data. We saw it in the news last week where QuickBook or these tax preparation companies, not QuickBooks, I'm sorry, were selling tax information and your most personal financial data to Meta to build into their scoring model. Mm -hmm. You see the credit card companies that are entrusted with holding every aspect of your financial well-being getting hacked because somebody forgot to unpack or forgot to patch one small part of the mm-hmm. system and it opened things up. We need to demand accountability and we need to demand data privacy and data security laws. We need to stand up as a, as, as a collective people and say, these companies cannot control my data list and I need to be given the ability to opt out. And that's and, not just using something like a VPN or like there, it's not no. the small stuff that we can do. It's going to be the big. No, that, and, and that'll protect your security posture. But if your tax preparation company is selling your information to Facebook, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. If your bank and another good example of the data leakage is your bank and you get all these insurance offers from your, that are addressed as being from your bank because they want you to buy this third party insurance. They're selling your data to somebody and you can't stop that. Like if you look through their agreement, so become informed about data privacy and its realities and what we can, and the controls that you can wrap around it. And the third thing is be hopeful. Mm -hmm. Don't get down on where we're at technology wise, because the technology is only what people make. And so that means if you want to make a difference, get involved, learn how it works, play with it. Become become a veritable expert and learn how it impacts your daily life and advocate for that change. And if we do that as a society, we can prevent some of these exploits that I'm afraid we're going to be seeing in the next five to 10 years as this technology grows. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much, Sean. Um, is, there, is there any um, places that you would recommend for people to go to educate themselves further? Where um, do you want to give us any of your, do you want to give us any of your personal information where we could find you if we have further questions Yeah, or follow you professionally? Yeah. So um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, just type in my name. I pop right up. You'll know it's me because it's got my smiling mug. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Inked, I-N-K-E-D, Tater, T-A-T-E-R. Um, you can find me on Instagram there too. I don't have Facebook. I'm sorry. Um I am always on the talking and lecture circuit about AI and cybersecurity and cloud operations. So just look for me Um, and then go pick up weapons of math, math destruction. And then the other one is the 26 words that created the internet, which talks about how we've we legislatively created some of these controls that let these companies get away with unintended and the unintended consequences it's had. Those two books will be a great primer and make you want to dive deeper. But if you get if you get stuck or you have questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm pretty easy to find. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Sean. And I will definitely put all of those links to contact you in the description of these episodes and the links for those books as well. Thank you so much. And it was so fun. Thanks, Heidi.
Hey, you too. Thank you so much. Reality check. The science of fiction.